You're listening to Women Making Waves. Susie, we seem to be specialising recently in having people in that have got awards for this, that and the other. And this next guest of yours is no exception. Yeah, she is no exception. She has a lot of passion for women and sport and sport in general, really, and trying to make it equal in many, many ways. And I love the idea of her working at the 2012 Olympic Games. It was a phenomenal year. Now we're going to hear the interview that Susie Thorpe did with Michelle Moore. And what extraordinary events do for young people is they unlock their learning potential. They enable them to be more of themselves. Michelle Moore is a multi-award winning leadership consultant, educator, former athlete and campaigner for equality. Long established as an advocate for education, she works tirelessly with governments and sports bodies around the world, striving to reach social impact through sport and education. Lovely to have you here, Michelle Moore, for Women Making Waves. Thank you. Great to be here, Susie. Do you feel from winning or being part of the independent 50 most influential women in sport in 2015, do you feel influential? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I would say I feel influential. I, I think that I have a platform and I choose to use my platform to voice my views and my thoughts about the issues that I think are important. I'm you know, incredibly passionate about sport and how sport can really make a difference in the lives of young people and in how we can use sport as a vehicle to really tackle some of the big social ills in our world today. And I think when you have influence and power, you are able to kind of change things. And I'm not sure that I do that, um, but uh, what I do is I'm very fortunate to be able to have a platform that I use to showcase uh, amazing women who are doing brilliant things in the world of sport or showcase fantastic sport for social change programmes that I think are changing the world. And I think with any kind of platform, if you are given that space to articulate a particular narrative, then it's your responsibility to use it. And I see myself as a bit of an activist uh, often, uh, calling out injustice and holding organisations and institutions and the status quo to, to holding them to a challenge, if you like, to to call out what I think is important. So that may or may not be influential, but uh, for me it's always about how we use our platform and, and use our voice to create change. The motivational speeches that you do and the trying to reach the parts of schools that obviously internally teachers can't reach, do you find that quite invigorating? Well, I, I'm not sure. I, I think my own kind of style is, is quite motivational, but I never really call them motivational speeches. I'm I'm asked to go into schools to, to talk about my journey and to talk about issues to do with identity, to do with sport, to do with learning, to do with inspiration, following your dreams. And I think for me, I'm inspired by my gran who came to the UK in, from Guyana in 1957. And she came on her own with two young children and my dad was one of them. And so for her, she toiled and sacrificed so that I could have every opportunity available to me. So I talk about 
where we come from and what that means to us. And so when I go in, I'm often held up as a bit of a role model. But for me, I'm I'm one of those young people. And so I'm very fortunate to have a background as a teacher in primary school and then later on as an assistant head in, in a secondary school. And I've worked in premiership football and I've worked in local government. So I have this kind of eclectic range of experiences that mean that I have something to be able to pass on to those young people to say look these are some of the barriers that you're going to come up with and when I was an athlete I I talk about what I had to go through training wise and the discipline and the structure but the amazing things that sport gives you and how it taught me to come back from adversity come back from those setbacks and I'm always accessible to them and that's what I want them to be able to take away from my time with them that I just like I was just like them Do you find that women still pit against each other when it comes to anything in life? Do you find that sport eradicates that? Do you find that when you play together as a team that we're not pitting against each other? Um, I think that when you're oppressed, when you're from a minority group, when there are structural inequalities that exist, that, that... that stop you from progressing, that that make it very difficult for you to get ahead, then I think that that can create a situation where there becomes sometimes get, uh, this idea of kind of scarcity and a, and there is a lack of opportunity. But I believe that actually there is abundance and that we are all individual and unique and all have something to offer. Um, unfortunately, that's what happens to the oppressed because often the institutions create these hierarchies of, of oppression. And just, you know, a case in, in example is um, within how... Sport is governed in this this country. We had the UK Sports Governance Code, which uh, basically says to sports governing bodies, you need to have 30% women uh, sitting on your governing boards. And um, that and they so they have instituted that to say we want to create more gender parity. Well, what happens if you are from a black or ethnic minority background or if you have a disability or you're from LGBT plus uh, QI or if you have a number of, you come from a number of those groups? What about that intersectional dimension? And so that that kind of pitting that has come from an institution uh, that actually we're saying gender is more important than anything else I don't know where I fit in there and so it's often created by the 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 structures of the inequalities that exist around discrimination how how do we change that well we change that by those institutions being held to account being held responsible and it's not by you know the kind of latest unconscious bias training or latest diversity and inclusion initiative it's about institutions taking a hard look at themselves and figuring out how they're going to tackle discrimination within their organizations how do they create an environment where every individual is valued and respected and they are seen and they are provided with opportunities to fulfill their potential and that happens by organizations being to be frank brave enough and real enough and honest enough to take a good look at themselves look at their data look at how people get jobs within that organizations i i work with some of those institutions and often the data tells them things that they had no idea about some of the media outlets I've worked with you know when they do the data analysis they're like oh the only way that people get jobs here is purely by 
nepotism by their uncle or auntie getting them the working experience and then then, then they're able to get the job. So, um, And that was news to some of those big CEOs. And so I think it's very powerful. Another corporate organisation I worked with, they did a piece where they interviewed all of their female staff and and it was done anomalously all of those staff talked about the culture and the banter and the microaggressions and everything that they experienced and that was played back to the senior management team and the trustees and they could not believe it they did not recognize their organization and then they went about dismantling that and really tackling the issues so we go back to your time i'm meant to ask this question for the London 2012 Olympic Games and you were developing strategy and creating engagement opportunities for thousands of young people and staff actually in London schools. How did you feel after that? Yeah, I mean, it was um, I mean, hugely inspirational time. I'm a former athlete. I'm a, for, a former 400 metre runner and I am a netball player now. So sport has always been and, and will always be a part of my life. Uh, and I was very fortunate to, to be in charge of PE and sport. And then for the, for the host borough, my strategy was really about ensuring that every young person in that area had an experience of the Games. And that meant making sure that they were involved in all of the amazing initiatives that came out from LOCOG and the ODA where they would get to meet famous dignitaries, to organising our own torch relay on the streets of Greenwich, to them being part of opening and closing ceremonies. And what extraordinary events do for young people is they unlock their learning potential. They enable them to be more of themselves. And so it was incredibly inspiring. And I remember afterwards we did an event where we got all of those young people together and asked them about the impact of the games on them. And one of the the biggest things that came out was their sense of identity was enhanced. They were so proud of their community, of their place being given centre stage globally, of going to the basketball at the O2 that was just down the road from where they live or where they go to school. And so that was a, a phenomenal to be a part of that. And one of the other big things was around disability. They were able to see and understand that actually they were getting all caught up in the story of Hannah Hurricane Cockcroft and uh, Jesse Peacock, the fastest man on one leg in the world. You know, they they understood that these amazing people were amazing athletes, and they were seeing some of the ability rather than the impairment because they were getting sucked into the story and so I think for me the working on the games was a huge gift and it was incredibly inspiring and those young people will always be able to say I was there. That's really interesting because my next question is on representation of sports men and women, particularly ethnic minority, uh, disabled people and sports people and, of course, women. I would say that those three need more representation. Do you think we've got there or do you think we've got a long way to go when it comes to the internet, sports, newspapers? I think that there is there has been some progress and that, that has come about because of the significance of, I think, the London 2012 Games as well and how the, the Games showed female athletes in in their best light, if you like, it, it succeeding. 36% of the medals were won by women in terms of the GB. And that shows us that we need to make sure that that actually translates into positions on boards throughout uh, the governance and, and administration and structures of sport and how that works. 
but also because we lack the role models. We only 7% of media covers women's sport. You know, that's just not good enough. The reality is, is we, we can have massive success from the hockey to the netball at the Commonwealth Games to football, all of those things as our women's sports teams do incredibly well. But a sport and the media are run by men, mainly white middle class men. And so the people that are part of the a problem are the people that are actually trying to create some of the solutions and actually that's a part of the the issue really we need greater representation in terms of decision making around who decides on the stories that go into the newspaper how those decisions are made you know the representation on on boards and the decisions made around the coaching we don't have an, enough female coaches and so everything is kind of cyclical and, and, and related to each other. So the lack of role models, the lack of, kind of media representation, the visibility of our athletes, the disparity between the men and women. And so everything has this kind of knock-on effect. And so therefore that affects how young women see themselves as successful in sport. Do they see themselves as a female physio? Do they see themselves as a sports editor? There are a lack of sports writers and, and editors and producers. And so I think representation is is fundamental to shifting the landscape. So on that question then, Olympic Games, obviously, as you just said, it gave 36% were uh, medals won by women in the Olympic Games. Uh, that is the best so far in the Olympic Games, is that right? For us as a host nation, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And we, have the host, we had the host nation advantage. But do you think the momentum for women's sport has progressed since there? Because there was such lovely talk about it. We were This was the way forward for women. We were going to push it even further. I think progress has been made, but so much more has to to happen. I mean, you saw spikes in other kind of sports like, you know, it's called the Nicola Adams effect. A lot of women took up boxing after Nicola did so well. You know, fantastic. There was the emergence of some other minority sports that came out of that, like Park Run, Tough Mudder. And so I think that we have to continue with the the pressure on different groups, the the organisations like the Women's Sports Trust, women in sport who are doing massive campaigns sport england this girl can i think we need to continue to keep the momentum going and that's for everyone to get involved with are there any mantras that you take do you have something that you live by that you thought oh serena she said something interesting first thing that comes to my mind uh, actually is is muhammad ali's um very short the shortest poem is me we and it's about me and it's about we. It's about all of us in it together. For me, it's always remembering that we are part of something bigger, that we can look to each other for support, that we can look to each other for inspiration. Do you think there'll be some time where men and women will play the same game of football or any game? Do you think we'll have men and women in the same team? Oh, well, I hope so. Let's hope that that is the case. I think we are moving. There is some progress, but there needs to be more. And I think that I'm impatient for change. And I think we need more. I think we need more people to be impatient for for change, to be honest. And uh, I'm fed up with people saying, well, you know, it's going to take time. It's going to do this. I'm like, it doesn't have to. Change happens often when there's some kind of scandal or crisis. Then there's activism from outside. There's activism from inside the organisation. And there's a you know a media uproar and that's the beauty of social media today as well how athletes use it how activists use it and then 
all of a sudden, you know, you see some change. And so I think that before you get to that point, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to wait for a crisis? I'm so delighted to be able to talk to you today, Michelle Moore. It's been an absolute pleasure coming on to Women Making Waves. Thank you so much indeed. Well, it's been great. Thank you for having me. And that was Michelle Moore, multi-award-winning leadership consultant, educator and former athlete and campaigner for equality, talking to me, Susie Thorpe. You're listening to Women Making Waves. 